The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, welcome everybody to a special edition, a Sunday edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We talk, call them Sunday Conversations. This one's happening from the Your Health Freedom event in West Jordan, Utah. Thanks to my friend, uh, Kristen Chevrier, who holds it. I think it's the eighth annual one. I've spoken at a couple of them now and had a wonderful time uh, earlier in the day talking about uh, emotions associated with what's happened in the last three years, talking about the anger, the angst, the fear, the uh, exhaustion, the, the depression, the frustration, all of that. Uh, and we've seen a lot of people go through a lot of changes in this time frame. And we've got a special guest for the first time on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We'll learn a little bit about her and what she's all about. You've all probably know about her, Dr. Meryl Nass. Welcome. Hey, thank you for asking me to come. I'm so glad to have you on the show and to be in person, to be able to hang out a little bit with you while we're here. Um, your uh, lecture this, uh, this afternoon is going to be uh, focused on what topic today? Um, it's focused on a lot of topics. Uh, of so course. myocarditis, mm -hmm. the Great Reset, um, what we can do legislatively and in terms of policies to mm -hmm. get from here to where we need to be. Mm -hmm. So now the bigger question comes is how did you get here? I mean, we've all come across people we never knew because of what's happened in the last three years. We had our circles and our spheres of influence, et cetera, and then found they all broke apart in weird ways. And people you thought you were your friends and your family, they went their separate ways. You know, you found or I found, we found our integrity along the way. And it, it didn't always align with the people we thought were with us. It was a, a right. great, great divide, but also a, a unification that meant, meant we, we met people we never would have met either. What was your your journey through this last three years? Because you you had a whole life before this. Um, so the last three years are sort of a continuation, actually, of my life. Mm -hmm. um, I became interested in biological warfare and preventing it 35 years ago. And so I wound up becoming an expert on anthrax and, the, and mm -hmm. identifying the first offensive use, the first biological warfare use of anthrax, which had happened 10 years earlier in Rhodesia during its civil war. Wow. Now, I remember just... After 9-11, uh, anthrax wasn't something on most people's minds. And, you know, right. a week later, there's like, oh, the anthrax dust, they're being mailed and whatever. Now, as a homeopath, we, of course, have remedies for all of these things, anthroxenum, different things that we've used. And the fact that I actually knew about them and talked about them got me a little bit of attention from the government. They didn't like that I gave options that weren't, you know, a vaccine or some other. Right, right, and right. So I've had to deal with the stuff we've seen in COVID recently that people said, really? And so I would tell people, I was like, you think you have freedom of speech, but when it comes to healing, you better say what the FDA says or else, right? And um, well, yes, I mean, they came after me a lot later mm -hmm. for those sorts of things. But um, so I was involved with, you know, the anthrax letters issue. Mm -hmm. I was involved in, in the, starting around 1998, um, in the anthrax vaccine mandates in the military. And we, I worked with a group of military officers and families of military and we got, we, we brought a lawsuit against the FDA and won mm -hmm. and got the, uh, vaccine license revoked for a period of time. Wow. That's that's pretty intense. So you didn't make a lot of friends 
in certain places at that point. No, but I, I made other friends, yes, right? Yes, uh, exactly. People understood that it this was not personal for me. I didn't have a kid in the military, mm -hmm. and I was doing it because it, it was the right thing to do. Right. And I knew a, a bit about anthrax, so I was able able to help out. Nobody mm -hmm. else, you know, in that fight had my background. So that um, worked out well. I even worked in Gulf War Syndrome before mm -hmm. that, and I gave six congressional testimonies between 1999 and 2007 on anthrax, bioterrorism, uh, vaccine injuries, mm -hmm. etc. I, I remember at that time, too, I started my show in 1999. And not too long after I interviewed a, a reporter, uh, Gary Matsumoto. I don't yes, remember that name. He I wrote that, mo that book, Vaccine A, right. about the anthrax yeah, vaccine right, in I, Gulf I War. Gary, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and when I interviewed him, I mean, he seemed like a Boy Scout in that he had integrity and he and he and he did what a reporter, investigative journalist does. He digs and digs. And then he found out, oh, my gosh, I, I must have dug in the wrong thing. And suddenly he couldn't find work for a while. They like you're you're out of here. They don't like when they kind of find certain things. And it was an, it was an a, a, a uncomfortable thing for him, as he was describing at the time. It was a long time ago now. But... Yeah, I have a different experience with Gary. OK. Gary did find out something. Mm -hmm. He thought it was very important. Mm -hmm. You know, he felt like he deserved a Nobel Prize for it. Yeah. And he he badgered me continuously to believe in his theory of things, mm. which was a very simplistic theory and didn't answer all the evi sure. evidence. And he, you know, wrote me out of his book, basically. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, it's he, always the rest I, of the story. I, I had to hang up on him several times. Mm -hmm. He was very insistent uh, that he wanted he was not like a reporter he mm. wanted to create the story wow well there's a rest of the story all because uh, again my experience was not he wouldn't badger me i just interviewed him about his book and i thought well this is an inconvenient thing that you found if, if indeed is true and yet again he did find out that there was a lot of backlash on his career right from being a reporter at the highest level to not having a job but fascinating when you start stepping on the wrong toes even if they need to be stepped on Yes. Yeah. So again, that, that history is, is fantastic. What you're describing and how you had, um, you know, seen related to the, the anthrax issue and the vaccine and the dangers of it, whether it was a Gulf War illness cause or not. I don't know. Maybe you have opinions. on. It that. was certainly one of no doubt uh, one of the causes of Gulf War syndrome. And a lot of people got sick from the anthrax vaccine after the Gulf War, you know, between 1998 and 2001. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the focus was at that point on the MF-59, the squalene adjuvant. So um, MF-59 is a squalene containing adjuvant. Mm -hmm. um, there is no evidence that MF-59 was used in the anthrax vaccine. Ah, interesting. OK. Yeah. And I think that the controversy, at least the way I remember it, it's been a long time, is that, you know, squalene is safe to use, safe to ingest, but injecting it might not be a good idea. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it came from shark liver and other things. It's your body has squalene. It is necessary to make cholesterol and to make hormones. Right. right. But um, it it is an adjuvant. It is a novel adjuvant for vaccines. MF-59 is in a flu vaccine that's available in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but that flu vaccine is only used in the elderly because it overstimulates the yeah, immune system right. and can cause autoimmune disease. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, what happened with the anthrax vaccine is that there were some lots that were tested, early lots, and parts per billion of mm -hmm. squalene were found in those tests. Okay. However, when you add MF-59 or another 
squalene containing adjuvant to a vaccine, you're looking at like parts per tens, mm -hmm. not parts per billions. More, yeah. yeah, like yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think how many orders of like seven or eight orders of magnitude more. Right. And right. so the fact that parts per billion were found in these old in these particular lots and only with one lab testing using a new technology that had mm -hmm. not previously been used. So you don't know whether it's accurate. Um, that was the basis on which Matsumoto claimed this is the problem with anthrax vaccine mm -hmm. and all you have to do is take out the squalene and then it'll be a safe vaccine. Mm -hmm. You see, and the problem yeah. was even if you take the squalene out, it wasn't a safe vaccine. Right. Well, and, and that's why you, you bring up something that a lot of in the allopathic community are loath to consider. It's like, okay, we can identify something that might be problem. If we remove it, we're good to go. And I think the entirety of the vaccine industrial complex is uh, loathe to do what we call an actual uh, uh, placebo-controlled study, right? Right. Double-blinded, all of that. So we find that the information is lacking when they say safe and effective long before there were COVID injections, right? I had to learn the hard way from, I was, uh, were, I don't know, you old enough to, to get the smallpox shot? I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, remember that? And I, I fell had it twice. Oh, my gosh. I think I, went, I, had, I had it twice inadvertently because I fell asleep on the pox that, came out of my arm and it re-emerged oh. from the temple of my forehead and I had tremendous pains as a little child like headaches like that I would describe as migraines times a million and I couldn't move my eyes at a certain I just remember that pain it was vicious now I never from that point forward ever thought vaccines are bad because I was raised in a medical family uh, but it was years later when I had to overcome a lot of my health challenges including that that I found homeopathic medicine and naturopathic medicine and herbalism. It's like all the things that have been around for a long time and that weren't so strange actually. And they helped me, you know, and you can't get sick from a homeopathic medicine. That's right. Exactly. And it's a, you know, and that's a funny thing. Cause you know, doing radio now since 1999, you get the, what we call the skeptic crowd. They're not skeptics. They're like just automatic. They want to destroy you just cause they don't like what you do or whatever, or they have a belief system about it. And, and they, they would say, you know, homeopathy's quackery right because it can't kill you i'm like oh so you, your validity is due to the fact that you could take a, a pharmaceutical drug approved by the fda and you can die it, well, that makes it real it just it, these thoughts i'm thinking i don't know where they're coming from but they don't make a lot of good sense to me and, and although i'm a freedom guy and i believe it, that all forms of medicine should be available but none in monopoly Right. Well, why does the British royal family use, use homeopathy. homeopathy? Exactly. Yeah. Because so, they don't want the side effects of allopathic medicine if they don't need to have them. Right. And we should be the same way. Yes. So, you know, toxicology. And the question is, if it's if it can't be toxic, then the question then, well, how could it do anything? And I think that gets into maybe quantum realities of energy in the system, metabolic interface, communication, water, all of that. It seems shouldn't be so controversial, but in a materialistic reductionist Western mindset, perhaps, even though homeopathy comes out of Germany, it, 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 it kind of begs a lot of questions that people aren't still even to this day ready to answer or conceive of. You know, the thing is that all our, our understanding of how the body works and how drugs work is mm -hmm. based on models. Yes. And um, those models may or may not be correct. I mean, we found we allopathic doctors have found many times that the model was incorrect. Mm -hmm. For example, we were using uh, a drug for asthma for decades, thinking it worked one way and it worked another way. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, we and and now FDA does not even require that drug companies put the mechanism of action it's not interesting. on yeah. a label. So yeah. they're letting you produce a drug. And if you say it has a certain effect and 
they like your data, they will let you sell it. I mean, they would like to have a theory behind it, but it's not absolutely necessary. <laughs> the thing is with homeopathy, yeah, we got a lot of theories. We don't know which one is correct or if any of them are. Right. But the same is really true for some many allopathic remedies, and we don't acknowledge yeah. that. So, and, and I don't think that's uh, what we call... Uh, the death to the drug. I mean, if you have a, a measurable benefit, even if you can't describe exactly. exactly, how, exactly. But the point is they've utilized that as a battering ram against, let's yes. say other forms of medicine. Exactly. And that's like, you know, I like, let's treat everybody equally in that sense and figure out what works and let's go with it. And uh, if it's together, if it's a part, whatever, but again, it was a famous doctor <clears throat> I heard when I was very young doctor, his name is Dennis Burkett, mm -hmm. Burkett's lymphoma. Um, he, he came up with a theory of fiber being necessary for your gut. Anyway, mm -hmm. Dennis Burgett said, look, the British um, sailors were eating lemons and limes and oranges mm -hmm. for 500 years to prevent scurvy. And nobody knew how it worked. Mm -hmm. You know, were they supposed to not eat it because nobody knew how it worked? Right, exactly. And it's fascinating. If you dig deep into the, the story of what they were actually drinking, it was a slurry of all kinds of things. And, and of course, they've... The reductionist mind says, oh, we have to find that one thing and we call it ascorbic acid. And yes, that's part of it. But to say that's all that was in that slurry they were drinking. I mean, it, there's so much more to, to th these things. And I guess w it's a tendency of humanity to try and reduce, reduce, reduce. Well, know. if you can reduce it to one molecule, you can patent it. Yeah, that's very good point. Dr. Merrill Nass is with us on our Sunday conversations. We'll probably get half a show today with Dr. Nass based on she's going to have to be speaking after uh, Dr. Pierre Corey. But whatever time we get with her, she's terrific. I enjoy so much already the interaction. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen her in action as well. And you've probably seen her on various uh, shows and YouTubes or whatever. Now, we've been banned on YouTube. You probably have, too. Uh, but we keep going nonetheless. So what was it about your early journey long before all of these so-called controversies we're discussing, you know, well into the, these careers that we have uh, that drove you into medicine or science or what was it, you know, going back in the day where you were from that kind of said, you know, that's what I want to do. So I was a smart kid um, growing up. So I went to MIT to become a nuclear physicist, I thought. Were you an and, overachiever even yeah, then or what? Well, <laughs> you know, no, I wasn't. I mean, it came easy. Okay. Um, but uh, once I got there, I realized, uh, you know, I didn't have the brain to do that kind of work. And I really wanted to help people. And, uh, you know, nuclear physics hadn't done a lot of good for the world. So I, you know, I was pondering what I was going to do. But it, the Vietnam War was on mm. and I could not understand how I could be sitting in classrooms while all these people are dying over there for no clear reason. Mm. And so I dropped out. I wound, I worked as a waitress for about a year. And then I hitchhiked with my boyfriend across Africa and India. What? And when I was 20. What part of Africa? Well, we started in Morocco and came out in uh, Kenya. Wow. So I went across the Sahara and across the Congo. Yeah. Um, and so that took that took about nine or ten months. And so I saw a lot of people. I saw the lack of medical care was making you know a big negative mm -hmm. uh, impact on most of these folks. And so I got clear that I would become a doctor and uh, you know might work in the third world. But of course, by the time I finished medical school, I was pregnant with my first child and. Uh, you know, had another one a year later. And mm -hmm. so I wasn't going to go to Africa to work, you know, right. with a husband and two kids. Yeah. Who And my husband was a professor at the med school. So um, I was looking for other ways to be useful. Mm -hmm. And um, after I'd finished my training, mm -hmm. I was at a meeting that 
was talking about germ warfare and uh, a professor at the University of Massachusetts who had previously worked at Fort Detrick, who Mm -hmm. was supposedly doing germ warfare research. And I was tasked with reading the contract and his curriculum vitae and figuring out what was going on. And uh, unfortunately for me, or that my whole life changed Mm -hmm. and I wound up studying, you know, what are they doing? Why is this guy doing anthrax research? And Mm -hmm. is he developing a vaccine? Turned out he wasn't, although the contract said he was. Mm -hmm. He was doing genetic engineering of anthrax. And why is the U.S. military doing genetic engineering of anthrax when we have a biological weapons convention that basically forbids this? So I had to go into the mission statement and the laws. And And how were you aware that uh, that that was a a biological weapons, you know, treaty, right? International. So I I worked with the um, American Friends Service Committee and uh, there was a famous activist named Frances Crow who lived near me. Mm -hmm. And she was able to get the Quaker Quakers had been interested in this issue of biological warfare and stopping it. So actually, the Friends Committee on national legislation had written about the biological weapons convention and mm-hmm. all of this and the quakers had had a uh, uh you know people standing in front of fort detrick mm-hmm. for a long time so they knew about it and i and uh money was was obtained from mm-hmm. the quakers to hire a young guy out of uh, just out of college, mm-hmm. he later became a lawyer and ran for attorney general of Massachusetts. Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, John Boniface. So he got a lot of the documents together for us, and I got my hospital librarian to get a lot of documents on mm-hmm. anthrax re- articles, and I read everything and uh, became an. I wasn't trying to like become an expert. I just want to understand what the hell is going on here. Right, right. And um, then the Gulf War happened and i was one of the very few handful of people in the country who weren't didn't work for the military who knew about this stuff hmm. so did that did it, was there ever a threat against you because of what you knew in 1999 my someone set fire to my house hmm. so but at that point i was traveling around the country giving talks about the dangers of the anthrax vaccine mm-hmm. and um so i believe that certainly that made you why. some enemies now where did you get your deep sense of right and wrong because a lot of people just go along with this and would rather not make waves i mean there's something in you that was you know a little different here i think i was just born with it yeah it wasn't like beaten into you as a kid right you just had, had that innately yeah i you know i it's just part of my I mean, I think we, we we just come into the world with stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, you know, telling the truth and having other people tell the truth mm. has always been completely necessary. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you could say it's my astrological chart, yeah. you know, but right. in any event, no, whatever I, it is, it, that's how I was right. and am. And mm. I wound up spending many years of my life yeah. researching these subjects, mm-hmm. writing about them, educating people about them. And mm-hmm. I never really understood it myself. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a life like other people. Mm-hmm. This is how I spent my spare time. Right, right. Well, yeah, you were you were drawn that way, as they say. <laughs> it's your makeup. Uh, and that's fascinating to learn. Now, when you were traveling across Africa, I'm fascinated about that journey. Uh, did you have any harrowing, death-defying experiences or was it all fairly... Um. Well, I, I met people who had been shot, and um, so there could have been, yeah, I mean, I would never want my child to do what I did, mm-hmm. but I traveled across Africa with a pup tent and a little mm-hmm. Swedish stove, and 
um, you know, wound up cooking most of my meals, did, you know, did a lot of hiking. Mm -hmm. I had a Peace Corps book about how you protect yourself from all the local, you know, parasites and food poisoning and everything else, water, the water. Mm -hmm. And I was, this is before I went to medical school, I was just uh, obsessive about following the instructions in that book. I never got sick. Yeah. Never got sick. Was healthier awesome. in Africa. And, and you weren't a doctor at that point or anything. Yeah. So no. you had some real insight. I guess it also makes you a little less vulnerable due to your worldly experiences of being programmed out of critical thinking. Because right. that's a big problem. When I, I mentioned the Flexner Report a lot in my, my lectures about it. I was like, how did we get here? What happened to medicine? Right. And you look back, oh, they altered the education system and, and on and on. So we see we're a product 100 plus years later and going, this is why this is not an accident, right? There's a profit uh, profitability associated with this kind of training and nothing outside of that. Yeah. So you were not easy to contain. Yeah, you know, you're right, because, how, you know, having traveled and when I say I traveled through Africa on the ground, you know, stayed in the cheapest hotels, stayed in my tent, ate at the cheapest restaurants, lived like an African, slept mm -hmm. in huts. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew what goes on over there. And when I got home, I knew that everything they were telling us was a lie about it, and India also. And then yeah. later, I've been to many other countries, been to over 50 countries. And so um, I never trusted the media, you mm. know, from the age of 20 onward. Well, and there lies that question of how do you survive the onslaught of programming in medicine, right? Going through it and going, realizing, hey, look, they're telling me something that just doesn't feel right, doesn't sit right with me. But the moment you start questioning it, they, this is how they drum people out of the profession, too, because they don't need renegades. They just need people to graduate and come across and do their thing as they're told. So I, you know, looking back, I still think that most of my training was correct. Mm -hmm. OK, I think I mean, they didn't want us to know anything about chiropractic or homeopathy or right. any other alternative theories. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that basically, you know, I, I started medical school in 1976. So um, the, I don't think the Great Reset had really gotten mm -hmm. gotten going no, yet. No, they, right. they didn't have hidden agendas. Yeah. Um, to... Except, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. But even sure. then, there weren't that many pharmaceutical as, yeah. drugs. And most of them worked and they didn't cost, you know, a thousand dollars a month or ten thousand. And at that time, there wasn't, uh, let's say, the most overt agenda to get people on the latest, greatest, newest, most expensive drugs for right. life. Right? right. The idea of a drug was, you know, a bridge. Right. Get people on, get people off, as opposed to we got them on statins forever. Right. For instance. Or, yeah. Yeah, and there weren't any statins when right. I went there were right. they were just getting into the lifelong hypertension drugs, mm -hmm. which I happen to think are a good thing because my husband was a hypertension expert. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I, you know, I know a lot about hypertension. And if you mm -hmm. do leave it alone, it does shorten your life. Right. But it, it, you can handle it, you know. Mm -hmm. With simple ways, you don't have to spend a fortune. You don't have to take drugs that have a lot of side effects. You know, or, it should be managed. Yeah. Or even, uh, you know, as I would argue, if we lived a better lifestyle, right, and address mineral deficiencies, we might even need yes, to be able to weed off of those Yes, a lot fewer people right. would have it. Right. But, exactly. But that's why I also argue, you know, as a homeopath, I don't want to get rid of doctors. It's like, dude, there's a need for everything, everybody. And there are people that are going to live a certain lifestyle that will end up requiring them to get managed that way. What am I going to say? No, sorry, yes. you're screwed because you live wrong. Right. That's not my method. But no, hypertension was the first thing where the industry realized we could get people on drugs for right. life. Exactly. Yeah. And so <laughs> what Merrill, Dr. Nass is saying is kind of fascinating because, again, my journey to this awareness and understanding didn't come like that. Uh, I had to suffer through a lot of medicine. My, my uh, uh, uncle 
Uncle Bob, he was a medic in Vietnam. He became a physician, nuclear medicine physician, interestingly enough, in Connecticut and let a head up a hospital and everything. And I love and adored him. And he warned me as a teenager because he knew I wanted to be a doctor. He says, you don't want to be a doctor. I'm like, Uncle Bob, you're a doctor. Why are you telling me not to be a doctor? He's like, you're going to be miserable. Uncle Bob, what are you talking about? This is all I want to do. Now, he was talking well in advance of what became Obamacare. And we're talking in the 70s and 80s. He said, look, I see where this is going. The government is intruding every which way but loose. Even if you want to be a doctor, it's going to be very hard to be one because you're going to be told what to do, even if it's wrong. And so he but I didn't know that until I was at Emory University in Atlanta at 19 years of age, having been through 10 years of allergy injections, every over the counter prescription drug you can imagine, surgeries, antibiotic, antibiotic, anti-inflammatory, uh, you name it, I was on. I was raised and we put like ENT doctors and allergists through their kids through college. Right. So I we dutifully did all of it. And then I realized that at a certain point that what my uncle was telling me was right. If I did to other people. What they did to me, even though they meant well, right? I didn't, there weren't no fairies, but he knew my spirit. He's like, you would be miserable. It's like, yeah, if I did this knowing what, because they admitted they didn't know I was sick, maybe I'd grow out of it. I'm like, oh, dude, I can't do that. I can't tell people maybe they'll grow out of it. I got to do better. So anyway, I I left that dream aside until a few years later. And this for me was a God thing, you know, prayers and all. Answer to prayers was like this guy from Belgium who, interestingly enough, spent time in the Belgian Congo, was near dead of tuberculosis in his 40s. And it was given up for dead by the doctors. And even the homeopaths in Belgium said, you're dead, right? That we don't have anything for you. And he didn't accept the death sentence. He, he dug, dug, dug deep into a, a library and found a French book by Vanier written. And it was titled, translated, How to Cure Tuberculosis with Homeopathy. Of all things he found, like the, the homeopaths didn't even know about it. And that's where he, he developed, you know, more on a, what we call a clinical approach to homeopathy that was addressing, you know, unique terrain changes in the environment and, uh, you know, all of that. And that's when I met him in his 60s. He had already overcome 20 plus years before TB. And he was like running circles around me in my 20s. So I thought, this is this is some street cred. I want to know about this. And so that started my journey from an allopathic mindset that I grew up with to maybe there's something more. And then apply it, test it, push it to the limit. And then finding in my 50s, late 50s going, dude, I'm running circles around that kid in, in his 20s who was chronically ill. And I left modern medicine, not if you break a bone, you don't, I mean, so yes, it's not right. about elimination. It's about exactly. appropriate, appropriate use. So for me, the journey has been amazing. And I've been able to inter- interact with wonderful physicians that have integrity, which for me is all that matters. If you have integrity, we can get along famously and have a great time discussing the things like we're talking about and learning about these journeys of how we get here. And I, and I hope people will learn a little bit about Dr. Merrill Nass as I am today uh, about what makes her tick, why she does what she does. Where did that level of integrity come from that she's willing to fight against all odds to do the right thing, despite all the pressure, all of the, pre, you know, all of that that happens. And so then we come now to the last few years, which ratcheted everything up to levels we had never even seen, even though we'd seen corruption and everything else to the point where, man, they're shutting down entire nations. The planet is shutting down for this agenda of now synthetic mRNA injections, masking, distancing. These are things that are so anti-human and anti-life. And they became something that was like, oh, if we don't do this, we're all going to die. I'm like, wow, did they really alter our view and belief system and minds? It was like a mind control like I'd never seen before. And you, you know, you saw it somewhat from the inside, but you were already aware of what was, I guess, the potential that they could do. Um, I, yeah, I was aware of what the United States was willing to do to other countries. Mm-hmm. And I was aware that they could, they had the potential, that these people who were willing to, um, 
cause all sorts of, you know, deaths and destruction elsewhere had the capacity to do it here. Right. Why, if they would do it elsewhere, why wouldn't they do it here? Exactly. Right? What, what were they not willing to do when you saw what they're willing to do? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I didn't at the very beginning of the uh, pandemic, I didn't know what was going on, but mm. I, you know, I knew about pandemics. I knew about biological warfare. I knew that the most likely thing was that SARS had come out of a lab mm -hmm. And uh, so I said so in March. And then I read uh, the uh, Natural Origins paper by Christian Anderson and four other scientists, a couple of whom I knew mm -hmm. uh, or knew of. And I, I had actually interacted with one of them, Bob Gary, mm -hmm. over the anthrax vaccine 20 years earlier. And he'd done some experiments for me. Mm -hmm. So believe it or not, with a squalene with MF-59. I would, I'd bought him some MF-59 to test. Wow. But, um, yeah, yeah, Gary Matsumoto was pretty surprised about that, too. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> no, I appreciate the back, the rest of the story, because, I, you know, you have these brief interactions with folks. And, you know, and what I said about Gary, it was like, to me, what I was perceiving was a guy who was just a consummate insider. He had reached the high levels of his profession on national news broadcasts regularly. And suddenly he was persona non grata because yeah. he had a, th a theory and he wrote about it. And that's where I was talking about that Boy Scout concept. It's like I have I'm, I'm a, an investigator. This is what I found. Now, he might have been wrong, as you said, about his conclusions or maybe they're only partially right. But regardless, I saw a guy that now found out what it was like to bite the hand that feeds you even though he probably didn't perceive it at the time. It wasn't as overt, you know, this pharmaceutical agenda. So in that context, you know, that was my cursory example. Now, I already interviewed many of the dissidents uh, around the HIV AIDS controversy at that time. So I was aware of the, the criminality of Fauci mm -hmm. and, and many of those that made proclamations that were not valid scientific proclamations. They were like a belief system based on if you believe this, then we can do this, 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 and this, which brought in AZT, a failed right. cancer chemo drug that kills healthy people. You know, and what do you think you're going to do to immunocompromised patients? So, and then Mickey Willis comes in, he talks about his history, not knowing it as well because his brother died of the right. AZT, right? And, and so this came a full circle when he saw Fauci again coming out as the main guy in COVID. So, this, you know, these journeys have woven through our recent history in America. And again, you've seen some of these criminals. Yes. And and to think that Fauci had the hubris to do it again with remdesivir to take a failed Ebola drug. Amazing. And claim that it was going to work for COVID. Mm -hmm. Not only that, if it was going to work, it had to work early because it was antiviral. But they were only using it because it has to be given IV, only using it in hospitals where uh, the average person comes into the hospital at 14 days into yeah. the illness mm -hmm. when there's no more virus, you've got an autoimmune disease and now they're giving you a deadly antiviral, yeah. you know, at the wrong time, wrong dose, wrong everything. everything. Yeah. Um, and that Fauci thought he could get away with doing it again. And he may because he'll probably die before he right. before goes the, to jail. Yeah. Well, history will write about what this guy was really about. Yes. And many of us are not waiting for that history. We're writing it too, as we communicate. And many have written books on him and it. And yet it's amazing how far being, uh, let's say dishonest and authoritarian can get you in a, in a world that has abandoned, I think basic levels of decency. I can get into, you know, the concept of spirituality. I don't mean to speak in terms of one religion or another, but the concept of what is right and wrong, you know, you say, you know, you can feel it. And I encourage people to get a sense of what that is. But we've, if we abandon it and we encourage others by rewarding them for those violations, and we see people like Fauci rise to the top and stay there for a long time. 
Exactly. Yeah. You know, we we set up this uh, what's it called Federal Reserve Bank, mm -hmm. which we didn't need. You know, because a, a an agenda was spun mm -hmm. 110 years ago. We've let it go. We've allowed this banking system to be corrupt, and in 110 years, now they're trying to take over the world. Right. Right. You know. You can't. You have to nip these things in the bud. Well, just like there are innovators within medicine and natural medicine and those that can integrate both, uh, there are those in economics trying to do better, too. Like I have this here, the Goldbacks. This is a Utah Goldback, I think, right here. Is this one from Utah? I believe so. And uh, where does it say? But they're legal tender in, in uh, five or six states now. Yeah, this is from Utah. Yeah. And uh, it's is there gold in it? Gold is in it. And that's why it's unique in that it has a thousandth of a troy ounce of gold. So it's about four bucks approximately equivalent. It's like foreign exchange. But, um, you know, as they're trying to establish central bank digital currencies, which, you know, with the end of freedom. Absolutely. End of privacy, end of everything. Uh, people say, well, I'll just use cash. And it's like, well, that's good until they print the cash out of existence because it will be worthless like a Zimbabwe trillion dollar note. Right. Then. Yeah, you could spend that all you want. You won't be able to get anything with it. So the idea here is to uh, uh, bring back something that is time immemorial in terms of accepted, in terms of its exchangeability. But most people you with can't, intrinsic value, right? You can't go to the grocery store and buy a, a, a loaf of bread and some eggs with an ounce of gold. It's just not. It's too much, right? So if you can fractionate gold down, which we have the technology to do like this, now you can make gold spendable like silver is with little silver right. coins. Right. And, and we're used to having things like this. So I just bring that up as a, a you know, as much as the, what we call the bad guys are doing their thing. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good people providing other pathways out of this mess. The question is, will we adopt them in time? Will we practice them or will yes. we or will we just say, I'm just going to wait until I have to. Right. Because if if you wait to grow food when you're hungry. It's just a little bit late, right? So I'm trying to say, how do we practice these things before it becomes we got to or else, right? And I think I can tell you're already there. So this is cool. I like this. <laughs> yeah, I've been working on my garden for eight years. Mm -hmm. I Beautiful. knew something was coming, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Merrill Nelson, what is the website when people want to learn more about you too? So um, I have a Substack, which is merrillnass.substack.com, um, where I try to talk about current events, pandemic-related primarily, Yes. Um, but also the Great Reset and especially the WHO. I have started a new organization called Door to Freedom. Door to where, Freedom. Where, and the okay. purpose is to educate people about all aspects of the Great Reset and to do it as simply and easily as possible, but also provide all the original documents you might want to read. We encourage you to read them. I'm writing so, this down. Door so to Freedom. Freedom.org. Okay, thank you. And uh, so we have about 32-minute reads, 500 to 700-word articles about the World Economic Forum, Young mm -hmm. Global Leaders, CBDCs, all, nice. all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then we have longer, we've written those ourselves, and uh, longer curated articles, original documents from the UN and the WHO, and bills in Congress. Mm -hmm. So you can look all that up and see what's happening and fight against it. That's our goal is to give you the tools you need to fight against Dude, it. Dude, you are awesome. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about applying the principles and healing that I have learned to recover my health and then been able to raise my children with no vaccines, not even an antibiotic. And it's not like they've never had an infection, but I was able to navigate knowing what I know of other means to, to manage it. So, and it doesn't mean there couldn't be or wouldn't be a place to use those things, but because we've overused and abused them, they become 
worthless and dangerous. They don't work. And now they're trying to figure out what to do. And I, you know, I, I, look, I review the peer reviewed articles on what's the latest a lot. And I've even seen where they try to engineer silver nanoparticles into the antibiotics and they go, Oh, look, it works. I'm like, well, do you think it's the silver doing it? And you even need the other stuff, right? right. So things right. like that just amuse me at the same time, a little bit frustrating. And, and funny enough, the homeopathic remedy for frustration is silver nitrate. Argentum nitricum. Yes, you told us that. Yeah, I was yeah. very interested. I actually, my favorite bandages are silver impregnated yeah. bandages. Um, I had a, a one of my girlfriends healed her husband's diabetic ulcer last week mm -hmm. with a silver bandage. And the um, joy of those is yes. they turn into a gel mm -hmm. when they when liquid hits them. Mm -hmm. So you put them in the in the hole or put them against the thing. You get a gel, mm -hmm. and then you just put a clear plastic cover over it. The mm -hmm. tegaderm is one of the brands mm -hmm. and you leave it alone for a week. Yeah, it's you amazing. Just, you can look at it, make sure it's not getting infected. It won't because mm -hmm. the silver prevents bacteria, viruses and fungi mm -hmm. from growing in it and just heals from the inside. Take it off after a week and you're healed. It's amazing. And I witnessed this over so many years now that, you know, for me, it's like, of course, and I still have to educate people on it. And, and as I said, one of the things that got me interested in that was the book by Dr. Robert Becker, The Body Electric. Robert O. Becker. Yeah. Yes. Uh, wow. Yes. I mean, this is a guy who was a real scientist. He's like, let's see what, what what I learned, right? As opposed to I have an agenda. It's like, this is what I learned. And he and so it's it's great. I love that. You know, that. the military shut him down. He had to retire yeah. in his 50s mm -hmm. because he was going into areas that were classified. Yeah. They didn't want him to. Exactly. He, he was an experiment. He was an orthopedic surgeon mm -hmm. who was using very electromagnetic fields yep. to heal bones and then to do other things and yeah. he was learning what they could do mm -hmm. and he uh he went to much. the areas where you know what that would uh, decentralize our power and we wouldn't have that power anymore we can't you know have something that, he called me up one day so this is cool uh, when Go he was ahead. in his 80s i think yeah and because he knew i was working on anthrax about 25 years ago mm -hmm. and uh, he started telling me about silver using silver bandages mm -hmm. on people with anthrax wounds yeah. yep and so, yeah, yeah great we, mind. We have been able to utilize it in uh, uh, pulmonary anthrax. Uh, the uh, uh, We talk about inhalation, inhalation nebulizing. Right, yeah, but we would nebulize the silver in the ion state to neutralize and interact safely. And again, the, but I didn't know about this back in the early 2000s when I was doing the homeopathic response to the anthrax and different things. They didn't like that. But most of the uh, homeopathics works more like on cutaneous. Yeah, like, I, I uh, would caution you not not to rely on that because an pulmonary yes. inhalation oh, anthrax can kill you yes, in 24 quickly. hours. Yeah, so, so it's a you, good point. You, you that, need the yeah. um, uh, monoclonal antibody or the mm. antibiotics very fast. Yeah, but what, all I'm saying is that for those of you listening and paying attention, that there are things that you can use as adjuncts to make your success more successful, more rapid, et cetera, in response. But yes, being responsible, you've got to take care of these very rapidly moving scenarios appropriately. And that's where allopathic medicine can be life-saving as opposed to life-terminating. Right. right? Good yeah. for emergencies. Exactly. Exactly. But as I said, we can do better even there with interacting like, you know, the classic remedy most people learn about in homeopathy is arnica. Right. Yes. Why wouldn't Arnica be used in every OR in the world? Right. Right. For recovery, much less or anything. Why doesn't everybody have Arnica yeah. in their medicine cabinet? Right. A basic thing like that could reduce the need for other things post-surgical, for instance, or as we talk about silver to manage infections so we wouldn't have to resort to the antibiotic wherever it's possible. And those are the things I think that I believe that physicians, when they go in to become physicians, they think in those terms, but then it gets beaten out of them. That's what I and my Uncle Bob, again, come back to that. So 
he knows I wouldn't be able to tolerate that. I just can't stand people that can't think critically and that can't handle a little bit of challenging based on questioning and all of that. I think that's the harbinger of good science, right? Uh, so here we are all these years later and having amazing discussions in what we call new media. So all of the old media that controls and, and suppresses and censors, they're causing people to come to me, to you, to others that have a message that is very empowering. Yes, it questions authority, but really authoritarianism, mm -hmm. right? Because there are authorities that have legitimacy, but authoritarianism is never legitimate. The thing is, we want safe and effective. Mm -hmm. And really? it's just a question of being aware that safe and effective can often be obtained more easily from an alternative therapy than mm -hmm. from an allopathic. But all of these methods should be available to everybody and none yeah. of them should be suppressed. And yet, you know, the, the legal system has been used to suppress them. And it's rather amazing that these modalities have survived yeah. over a hundred years in the U S mm -hmm. well, you know, when all the, uh, everything's been used to beat them down. Right. Well, it tells you the, the goodness I think within them and the, and there's a life force that cannot be extinguished as much as they try. Right. And you, you think of the, the old star Wars thing, princess Leia say, the more you squeeze, the more star systems will squeeze right out of your system. It's the law of reversed effort. And I think that's an element here that they're learning through COVID their end game play was so strong, so powerful that it caused more people to, to escape their grasp or want to that had no idea they were even in a grasp. So that it's like they blew it. We were telling them, if you just ignore us, we're not going to go away. But it's, it's going to be a very small percentage of people that ever encounter us. You ban us. You censor us. Now people are going to go, what are they banning? What are they censoring? It's human nature to want to know, why do they want me not to know that? I'm like, you guys, you don't know that? They couldn't help themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the AMA was trying to shut down chiropractic, mm -hmm. and somehow the chiropractors got documents yeah. from the AMA. They brought a lawsuit. Wilk versus AMA, 1976, Supreme Court decision. Yeah, it showed the collusion. And, you know, that that's long after 1847 when the AMA was founded, three years after 1844 when the American Institute of Homeopathy was founded. They were like, three years later, AMA went, we got to do something about this. <laughs> so it goes back long ways, you know. So And it's probably thousands of years this history but here we are in a contemporary setting talking about what's going on what has transpired hopefully connecting cause and effect dots so that we're not victimized you know like we're and they'd like us to be just victims right i don't like that that's why i dig 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 and annoy people not on purpose but you know those that that's don't right know. they want us to feel like victims mm -hmm. powerless yeah. yeah exactly and i'm i'm not i don't play that game and i, I can tell you don't either well the thing is as i keep saying we are a million to one mm -hmm. against them. We are 8 billion people who don't want their great reset. Yeah. And uh, we don't want them to kill us off. We don't want them to control our food and our water and everything else. Mm -hmm. We don't want to own nothing. So um, they're the ones who are really powerless, you know, and they're the ones who are scared of us. And mm -hmm. they're doing their best with psychological attacks and psychological warfare yes. to try to instill various ways of looking at life, you know, that are, that are counterproductive, but you know, we need to turn off our devices mm -hmm. and start looking around the world and seeing what makes sense. And yeah, if they don't own everything. They don't have to own everything. You know, we can throw the bums out who are our, our bought politicians and we can run for office and we can fix this mm -hmm. now Do that we see it. Dr. Merrill asked the question, uh, is it because we're free that this has been the problem? We've got too much freedom. That's clearly what that is the problem. That bullshit thing that George Bush said, <laughs> yeah, right. they hate us for our freedom. Right, no, right. nobody hates us for our freedom. Yes. And they've already stolen a lot of it. Yeah, exactly. But, but they would argue that the reason we're in so much trouble is there's just too much freedom. 
You've got to, we've got to control, you know, it's like, dude, in freedom, there's innovation. In freedom, we have the ability to go, you know what? It's in our best interest to find a way to get along. We don't have to agree on everything. That's right. But it's like, and when you get these third party interveners, the government, whatever, they mess up the works and try to set us against each other. It's like, that's a deception. And that is where, you know, that argument, some in America believe, well, we've got too much freedom. I'm like, dude, do you understand how much we lost and how much we've innovated because we had freedom despite some of these things that have been attacking it? Yeah. But, you know, our kids. The feds, I mean, Bill Gates was in charge of education for the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've ruined the education system. Yeah. They, they've they ruined the medical system. Um, yeah. And nobody has learned ethics, morals, or mm. what's right and wrong if you were educated in the United States in the Ex last 40 years. Exactly. I, you know, I believe in the high ideals of the origin of the country, but I, I agree that we've not lived up to them. And I am willing to call out my own country when it doesn't live up to those high ideals and try to find our, our way back. Because I think... That system that acknowledges our rights come from a creator, not from a bunch of bureaucrats who decide if what our like rights you, are. Right? Yes, uh, exactly. That we can find our way through it. We can make our way back and make things better, not in a build back better artificial sense, but in a way that, again, if we're left alone to our own, we find that we are much better off getting along with one another than fighting. It doesn't help us to fight. And it's like, who does it? They talk, you know, what was the, the thing about the, the red ants and the black ants? You heard about that experiment. They put, you know, these, these aggressive fire ant things, but they're hanging out in a jar together. Nothing's going on. You shook the jar and suddenly now the instigation was on. The battle was on. It's like, sort of like that with these, you know, interlopers from our government or other areas. They, they shake us up in artificial right. ways to, to make us hate one another, fear one another. And, and that's how we descend into this madness that is, I don't believe it's our natural state you know the nazis got the germans to hate the jews by telling them that they were the spreaders of disease right, right. we have to segregate them mm -hmm. so it's okay you know and here americans were willing to send us to quarantine camps because we weren't vaccinated that was an amazing it, thing to witness but they had seen how the nazis did it they knew it mm -hmm. was a successful strategy yeah and i you know i i Talk about what's going on in Israel, and I, there's a lot happening there right now I can't get into, but let's just say even over COVID, they were given like identifiers, like not the same, but is eerily similar to the Stars of David you had to wear if you were Jewish in in Germany at that time. I'm thinking, it's not too many generations removed. How do you forget so quickly? If the Jews can forget what they were all wholesale slaughtered and still, and, and then and then do the same thing, the same thing. What does it say about don't get cocky? Right. Remain humble in this in this journey to realize that we are all subject to manipulation through fear, through anger, through ranks, through anything, anything. And uh, I always like, you know, at the end of my show, every hour I say the power to heal is yours. Now, does that mean that everybody comes out of here alive? No, none of us do in a physical sense. But we have this great ability to recover and, and, and overcome so much. And, and yet also help one another. It's not like on an, on our own, even though we can do innovative things on our own, but it's it's nice to interact with folks. I think I've been blessed by meeting some of the most awesome people, including yourself now, uh, to just feel good about, wow, this journey is really amazing, despite all the garbage out there that we go, man, this is a bummer, right? That we, we find ways that are just so much better than all the stuff that maybe they want us to focus on. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, th this is always fun. This is why I love doing the show. And this is why I love, especially the Sunday conversation. Sometimes they're taped on a Saturday, but it's okay. But you get the concept. We get into the heart of, you know, what the journey is. How do you uh, arrive to where you are, your, your perceptions of life, your belief system, and 
why you have such a passion and why you're on a mission. You're not just here to kind of go, oh, whatever. No, you're out there engaging at a time when some people say, well, just relax. You've done a lot. Not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I I guess I enjoy the battle. Yep. That's why you're, I said my, my uh, astrology, I have sun, moon, Mars, and Aries, mm -hmm. warrior. Oh, yeah, the warrior, yeah. So, sure, throw me into battle. Yeah. I'll fight. Well, any uh, uh, other messages you want to share with the audience today? Um, be positive. You know, you start fighting against this and you meet the most amazing people mm -hmm. and it's fun and you're doing something that has real meaning and you're saving the planet uh, from these uh, resetters, the Klaus Schwab, you know, yeah. evil people. Why, why do anything else? Right, right. Well, it's a, it's a simple question. It's like, well, why would I want to participate in that madness over there when I can have fun with good people right here? Exactly. I am. It's a little bit pragmatic, but it's a good thing. And again, there's nothing wrong with fun. I think we were born to have fun, too, even though sometimes Absolutely. we'll forget, right? Yeah. Yes, Yeah. we were. And we can overcome our psychological barriers, too. Mm -hmm. I have to say, when so on this trip I made when I was 20 and 21, mm -hmm. um, I wound up in Dharamsala and I learned meditation from the Tibetan Buddhists in India. In India. Okay. And then from... Uh, Goenka learned a different kind of meditation. And mm -hmm. even though I haven't kept it, I did do it for years. I haven't kept it up in recent years, mm -hmm. but it seems to have given me a stability that I lacked when I was young, mm -hmm. you know, so I can just keep, keep on going. And I, I know what's right and wrong. And so life is very clear, mm. very clear. I'm not pulled in other directions. Yeah. Well, it's, it's too easy to be distracted. The question is what can keep you on that path? right? That path that you're, you're, you're meant to be on. And as I said, I joke about it, but you know, don't get cocky. It's like the moment you think you got it, something happens in life to go, no, you don't. And, and so it isn't so much about the ego as much as, you know, the ego can drive us to do things, but life is so much more than that. In fact, mm -hmm. it's like the deception of like ego gratification versus how amazing is it when somebody comes up to you and say, thank you, Dr. Nass, you know, what you said made a, such a difference in my life. I mean, that's that's something that's it's intangible yet so tangible at the same time yeah 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 so that's the fun of this journey and you were in india as you said and there they have ayurvedic medicine for thousands of years homeopathic. homeopathic medicine is a mainstay and uh you know different regions have different things i had never heard of when i spoke at the world congress of holistic medicine in chiang mai thailand in the early 2000s i, I was a homeopath there and i was introduced to things i thought i knew a lot i'm like holy tamoli there's that there's that. i've never heard of that it was fascinating it's like we get so focused to, i think they call it in in, in uh uh, anthropology, ethnocentrism, right? Mm -hmm. Like what we right. And when I went to Africa, and this was in the uh, mid, early mid nineties, I went to uh, Ghana and and Nigeria, and mm -hmm. I met with the healthcare people, the doctors there, and I said to them, "This is probably the first white guy from America to go." throw out the medicine of the white man, go back into the bush and save the medicine of your ancestors. We're all going to die if you don't, because that's where we lost our way. And it wasn't, again, meaning to throw everything out. But the point is, they look to us often as we're the saviors of that. No, it's the opposite. We got to go back into the natural realm and say, let's not destroy that which right. creates life. Right. Right. And so it was a fascinating thing. And years later, last year, in fact, I met one of the young young uh, man that was there that I talked to. And I've and i I've spoken about this journey many times and I'm thinking, am I embellishing? It's been so many years. Mm -hmm, am mm -hmm. I making things up about it? And this guy came up to me and I saw him in Denver at a conference. It was like out of the blues. Like, remember when we were on the Busawa Beach in, in Ghana and you said all of this? And I'm like, 
I went, I did remember it say that. Didn't he said, yeah. And then I was able to help my sister who became a doctor and saved her life with the thing. It's like, wow, you never know how much, you know, it's a fleeting moment, an important moment nonetheless, but you're like, was that real? Did that really happen? And then so occasionally you're given the gift years later where it comes back around to say, you know what? Yeah. It was a great thing that you were That's there. a wonderful lesson that life is about the process mm -hmm. and not the product. Yeah, exactly. I, I had no idea, you know, we we're just there sharing our passion and, and we're ended up trying to find the humor in it all too. Sometimes it's hard. I, I acknowledge cause there's a lot of people suffering. Uh, but uh, if I couldn't find the humor in all of it, even today, I don't know how I continued dealing with the things that, you know, very, very gut-wrenching what you witness. Yeah. So find your humor. I could see Dr. Merrill Nass still has it after all this time that you've been on this journey. Now, you have a talk today. As you said, you're going to go into a lot of different things. And for those of you who want to know, again, we, we mentioned MerrillNass.Substack.com. We'll have that linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com and door2freedom.org. I'm going to have to check that out because I was invited to speak on uh, to at an economic conference called uh, Great Exodus in Texas uh, next month on Goldbacks. And I said, I'll do it, but I, you have to give me time to also speak about the medicinal benefits of the noble metals because gold, silver, and copper have profound properties, mental, emotional, physical, and all, even spiritual. And they said, yeah, let's do it. We've never done that. I'm like, so I'm going to introduce a bunch of economic, you know, eggheads. Uh, it's not only the concept of gold, which they sort of get. That's not yes. a foreign concept, but as medicine, as a, as a nutrient. Uh, so that I'm looking forward to that. That's going right. to be a fun, fun new right. uh, environment to head into. Yeah. Well, I think gold was injected for many, many years for rheumatoid arthritis. Right. You know, until yeah. they came up with these multi-thousand dollar drugs and put it aside. Mm -hmm. Silver, of course, for infections. Um, copper. Some A doctor called me once and mm -hmm. was telling me how... If you put um, copper in your drain, mm -hmm. like it won't get clogged. Mm. Interesting. Because it'll kill all these little microorganisms in the biofilms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it'll break yeah. through. Yeah, both silver and copper ions can break through those biofilms. Of course, I mentioned copper is fascinating because it's also a very potent antiparasitic, more than silver is. Silver can work antimicrobially and, and has a, a stops viruses and, and a lot of fungal species, but the copper is even more antifungal, but more antiparasitic than silver silver can address like the the, the food supply of a, of, of a parasite so it can mm -hmm. have an indirect but when it comes to direct interaction that copper is really amazing for the parasite so that's why i thought you know it was interesting about the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin being antiparasitic as well and having antiviral that the copper could have played a bigger role if we knew right yes yeah yes yeah, yeah. considering Maybe. they were dropping zinc 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 and it's like okay zinc's good but in nature zinc comes with copper and in mm -hmm. nature, C comes with copper. You'll find it there. And we ice, we tend to isolate because we're so smart we can do it. And I think there's right. a, there's there's exactly. something about the symphony, which is important, too. Yeah. You yeah. talk about the digitalis, for yes. example, which actually is uh, currently, you know, down. Not a good drug. So mm -hmm. by we use it homeopathically, but, too. But digitalis did work for heart failure. But that digitalis is one molecule. The plant foxglove mm -hmm. has multiple molecules Correct. that also work on the heart, and yeah. it may be the combination. Mm -hmm. You know, that exactly. God put them all in the plant for a reason. Exactly. It's like, whoa, there's the wisdom, right? But we're again coming back to our arrogance and uh, and I, profit. Yeah, and you profit can't patent well. the foxglove. No, I know, and it becomes. You know, very affordable to, to grow your own medicine and or even homeopathics where you can take one plant, like one foxglove plant and convert it into a homeopathic remedy that can feed 
if you could millions yes, right efficiency law of economy is amazing that way and and i think there's again there's a place for all of this but i often feel like homeopathy is the redheaded stepchild of all the natural healing modalities because it's like so foreign still you know even herbs are you know, measurable in terms of a material. And then right. we go into a material and non-material. And it's like, it's asking us to leap beyond, again, a Western like mindset. Like acupuncture, mm -hmm. which asks right. you to believe in meridians and, and energy pathways that yeah. allopathic medicine knows nothing about. So, Do but I, I think there is maybe an attempt to get rid of homeopathy. Oh yeah, there are currently there, for a long time. There have been, they, it's going to take an act of Congress. We have Jonathan E. Mord running for the U S Senate. Who's beaten the yes. FDA back eight times now. Continue to support our my friend Emord Emord for VA.com. Dr. Merrill Lass, we were scheduled to do 30 minutes. We've gone a full hour. Oh. And I, you didn't miss your talk, so I feel okay about that. I but know. It. God bless you. This has been so much fun. So first time to have you on. You're welcome on my show anytime you mm -hmm. want to share about this. Uh, it was just a great journey. Another beautiful Sunday conversation here on a Saturday. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here, y'all. Remember, it's God's honest truth. The power to heal is yours. Mm -hmm.